Welcome back to Rough in the Basket. I am your host, Noah Byrne. As always, the Lions have by curiously won the Super Bowl through Matthew Stafford. And uh, yeah, I'm joined as always by Brendan Carr. How are you doing, Carr? You celebrate Matthew Stafford's victory yet? <laughs> you must be happy. Yeah, no, the Super Bowl was great. I'm happy for Matthew Stafford. Happy for a lot of those guys on that Rams team, but very excited to talk about the Super Bowl. And we're going to finally talk about basketball. It's been a uh, it's been a long time, I feel like, since we've talked basketball on Rough in the Basket, but we're going to talk about it today. You know, I'll be honest. I think it's been three months. I'm not, not going to lie. It's been a long time. For long a show time. called Rough in the Basket, we don't talk very much about basketball. But but you know what, We're going to get better at that. There's just been so much NFL talk, and this has been an incredible season. I mean, everybody's seen it from being able to see week to week to week. There's so many close games, especially during the playoffs. It was madness, absolutely so much to talk about is jam-packed. So we didn't really have that much to talk about with basketball, but there has been quite a bit going on with the NBA. And, you know, me and Carl were talking prior to the start of the recording, and I found it actually pretty ironic. The first episode we ever had together, we talked about a James Harden trade, and we are about to talk about another James Harden trade. So a little rough in the basket history right there. Uh, fun fact of the day, if you will. But uh, yeah, uh, so Brennan, I actually want to hold off to, to hear your thoughts about this trade until this moment. But uh, who do you think won this trade and uh, how do you feel about it? Yeah, so this trade has been talked about. I mean, it's, first of all, it's crazy that the first time that we recorded together, we were talking about James Harden getting traded to the Nets. And now we're talking about it again, but this time he's off the Nets and going to the 76ers. But this trade, I mean, it's it's been talked about for a while. I mean, Ben Simmons obviously hasn't been ha- hasn't been happy with Philadelphia and hasn't really wanted to be there. James Harden, I mean, I think it's the same thing. So the both sides said, "Hey, why not? Let's let's make both both uh, parties happy. Let's ship off Ben Simmons and Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and a couple first round picks for James Harden." And James Harden goes to Philadelphia 76ers, but. As I think about it, honestly, I kind of lean the Nets in this scenario. I know you're not the biggest Ben Simmons guy, but look, James Harden, I I think, clearly didn't want to be with Brooklyn. And you even heard about heard it in his, you know, the opening press conference. He said that the 76ers were his first option. Um I even give uh, Daryl Morey a lot of credit too for the 76ers where he Ben Simmons' trade value when he when the rumors started to come about that he didn't want to be there and then obviously at the beginning of the season where he just wasn't showing up like his trade value was pretty much dead at that point and they were asking for a lot but hey you know they were they were patient and they got James Harden out of the deal I think that's going to be great for them I think it's a good trade for both sides but I lean the Nets just because Look, I mean, that big three really hadn't gotten to play a long time. Uh, It was only 16 games total they've gotten to play. But I think Ben Simmons, he helps their defense out. Ben Simmons, you can say what you want about him. I know he's not a great shooter, not the most aggressive um, guy when he's driving to the basket. You know, he's kind of scared to do that. Uh, Doesn't show up in these big moments in the playoffs on, on the free throw line. But He's a great defensive player. There was a reason why he was a defensive player of the year finalist last year. You got Seth Curry out of the deal, who Seth Curry is now your starting shooting guard. That's another great shooter um, for them. And then 
Andre Drummond, I think, you know, he's not, he's obviously not the same Andre Drummond from years past, but he's someone that is a good depth piece for this team. And I think the Nets overall, their depth got better. And I think that big three with Kyrie, Ben Simmons, and Kevin Durant, I'll be interested in, in seeing how they they kind of work out. But I do kind of lean the Nets just because I feel like they got a, a relatively big haul for James Harden. Um, and I think it, it, it they can definitely be better with that. But to talk about the 76ers side of things too real quick, like James Harden and Joel Embiid, I'm going to be very interested in seeing how that duo works out. The 76ers have been great this year. Joel Embiid has been playing at an MVP level and they've been winning games even without Ben Simmons. So adding James Harden to the mix, I think is big. Question I have with James Harden though, is his injuries have been kind of catching up to him. So how healthy is he going to be? The 76ers actually, as we're recording this last night versus my Celtics and my Celtics destroyed them. So it's, it's definitely, you know, a, a concern, but, I don't know. I, I personally lead, lean the Nets side of things. What about you? So I would say this is definitely a win-win for both sides. Yeah, I agree I do, with that. I do believe that this was probably the best that either side could have done. Although I will say with, with the Nets, again, I, I just don't know how much you can really celebrate getting back Ben Simmons. Because, like, look, I'm not going to deny this kid has talent. I just think he's very indolent very lazy and he doesn't really work that hard I mean clearly like he lost 20 million dollars because he didn't want to play a, a game that you know children play at their recreational gyms so it's like I don't understand the thinking behind that like why wouldn't you at least show up to practice and even half-ass it like and just make 20 million dollars man you know what I would do for 20 million dollars a lot of stuff so <laughs> you know I don't want to go into many details about that on here but I, I would I would do a lot for 20 million dollars I think mm-hmm. anybody would but the the problem with Ben Simmons is you know the Nets are a t- team that wants to win now they're, they're a team that wants a championship and so is the 76ers but Ben Simmons th- didn't want to play on a contender that's the, the the thing that blows my mind it's not like he didn't want to play for the Pacers or he didn't want to play for I don't know the Pistons or he didn't want to play for the Kings he didn't want to play for a team that is vying for a championship year after year. And, and who was it that choked last year? Was it uh, was it Joel Embiid? Uh, no, no. Was it uh, – uh, who, who was it? It was Ben Simmons. Yeah. And he basically put the blame on everybody else instead of himself. Didn't show up for half the season while they were still winning and doing fairly well. Joel Embiid is an MVP candidate right now. If the season were to end today, there's a very high chance that he would actually be the MVP and, uh, you know, he's really carried this team all season. I will say, though, the one part that I'm a little bit scared for with the 76ers is that they did give up some depth to get James Harden. James Harden has had his struggles also in the playoffs at times. So I question exactly, did they give up maybe too much for James Harden? Because he still hasn't picked up his option. He is aging. Obviously, he's had, uh, had to deal with some injuries here and there over the last few years, which has slowed him down a little bit. The first round picks I'm not very concerned about because it is the first round pick for this year. And then I was reading that the first round pick for 2027 is a top eight protected or top 10 protected. And then if it doesn't, um, if it doesn't get conveyed that year, then I believe it's a 2028 uh, first round pick that's protected again. So, and then it would turn into two second round picks. So it's not that big of a deal. At least it doesn't seem like that right now. 
But to to basically give up some depth with Andre Drummond, who, I mean, he has played a very good role this year for the 76ers. And uh, even though he's not maybe putting up the Andre Drummond numbers of old, where he's averaging 17 rebounds, 17 points a game, he's still putting up some valuable minutes for them. And then they're also giving up Seth Curry. Who, Seth Curry, man, he's, he's one of the best shooters in the league. And I think a lot of people sleep on him because obviously he's in the shadows of his, his father and his brother. But at the same time, he puts up numbers and the, the 16, 17 points that he's putting up on 40, 43% shooting, whatever, three-point shooting, whatever it is this season is uh, very, very valuable. So I think the Nets are getting back a lot more depth than what they had and they, they needed depth after losing 11 straight games. But the Nets couldn't hang on James Harden, especially the way things were going and being an 11-game losing streak. So I don't blame them at all for getting rid of him. I think they needed to. Yeah, I mean, it's just a it's just a thing where both, both parties, Ben Simmons not being happy with the 76ers and James Harden not being happy with the Nets, I think it just made sense. And I think it's a win-win. Um especially for those two individuals getting out of those situations and starting fresh. James Harden, his first choice, like he said, was the 76ers. He gets back with Daryl Morey, his general manager, who has talked glowingly about him in you know previous years, called him the greatest scorer of all time at one point. Um, so there's just there's a lot of there's there's the things where it's good for those two guys uh, specifically. I like the depth that the Nets got, um, like you said, but it'll be interesting. What I want, Noah, is I want a Nets 76ers playoff series because I would love to see Ben Simmons go back to Philadelphia for a playoff series against his former team and just see how he kind of handles that pressure. I think it's going to be good for him, though, that he's going to a team where he knows that Kevin Durant is the guy. I feel like with him and Joel Embiid, there might've been some sort of power struggle. Like maybe Ben Simmons thought that he was the leader of that team when in reality it was Joel Embiid. Um, but I think he knows when him, him coming to the Nets that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Urban are ahead of him on the pecking order. So maybe that kind of helped straightens him out a little bit, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see uh, who ends up winning this trade when it's all said and done. I'm just, you know, I'm happy for both of those guys for them to get into better situations, though. I also do want to say, though, that, you know, I, I feel like I have to make a public apology to Kevin Durant, because even though I don't necessarily agree with a lot of decisions he's made as, as a basketball player and some things he said, I, I can't deny his success that he's had on the Nets just to see them without him for this stretch of games and to see them go from being like second, third place in the East to now eighth, barely hanging on to the eighth spot over uh, his absence. I mean, it shows the kind of impact that he has on the floor. So there's no doubts about his talent. And I, I don't know exactly how well the big three are going to mesh, especially because there's questions with maybe Kyrie Irving being out due to, you know, his lack of being vaccinated. I, I really hope not. I hope he plays and I hope that everything's even and, uh, you know, everybody's healthy. and I'm able to see a, a good series between these two in the playoffs. It's going to be intriguing to see how it works out. I do think the Nets definitely got a lot more depth, which is great for them. And I think the 76ers also got um, a big piece. But another factor is James Harden still hasn't picked up his option. So he could potentially walk at the end of the season if things don't really work out there. So I feel like it's hard to really give an exact grade right now on these teams because there's still so much to see with how this develops. But 
it's going to be interesting. But there were some other trades that I did want to go into. Um, one of them that really stuck out was uh, the Kristoff Porzingis trade. Uh, you know, a few years ago, this would have been like top news. And I feel like it got very overlooked because he's been when he's been on the floor, it's not like he's been completely unproductive. He still puts up, you know, 20 points, maybe eight, seven rebounds when he's healthy. But again, the key word here is when he's healthy, because there's so many times where he's been injured. And I think that's what it really came down to was just the, the uh, Mavericks were just sick of putting up with his uh, unfortunate health issues. And uh, maybe there were some friction there between Luka Doncic and uh, Christoph Porzingis uh, also. I mean, it seemed like that may have been a small piece of the whole situation. But they got back a pretty interesting return with Spencer Dinwiddie and also uh, Davis uh, Bert- Bertans. And uh, I'm curious to hear your reaction about this because I have a, I have a friend who's a Mavs fan. And he was kind of saying, man, this was a terrible trade. I don't understand why they would do this. Bertans is having a really rough season, but he is a overall historically good three-point shooter, which they need. And Christoph Porzingis was not hitting threes at the rate that the Mavs need him to. And uh, Dinwiddie, I mean, we, we saw what he did in the Nets a few years ago, but he's also having a down year and he signed to a three-year contract, which is more or less affordable for them. But I want to hear your thoughts on this one. Yeah, when I saw this one, I I don't know. Like, who does this really benefit? Like, I guess with Christoph Porzingis, his biggest thing is he hasn't been able to stay healthy. The guy has not produced a healthy season, and I don't even know if he ever has. Um, he's just – I mean, he hasn't just been – he hasn't been healthy, and him and, you know, Wuka and the Maverick squad really never got, you know, meshed together just because of the poor Zingas injuries. But Spencer Dinwiddie, like you said, it's having kind of a, a down season. Davies Bertans – hasn't really played a lot, a lot this season. You've kind of just seen like his shooting numbers go down because of that. So I don't know. I kind of feel like this trade is kind of a wash in my opinion. Like I feel like it's relatively even and I don't know really who gets better from it. Um, I mean, maybe, I mean, it's probably a good thing for everyone who's involved with it because I mean, Christoph Porzingis again, is afforded another opportunity to get a fresh start. Spencer Dinwiddie and Davies Bertans are going to a Mavericks team who is, I think, currently fifth in the Western Conference. So, you know, they could could end up being contributors down the line. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr., I'm pretty sure, is out right now for the Mavericks. So they could, they did need some guard play, some help. I know Jalen Brunson's been really good. Um, and obviously you have Luka Doncic, but... Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, he's been someone who uh, is on, like, that fringe, like, all-star caliber player. He's a really good starting uh, point guard, but I don't know. I, I When I looked at this trade, I just kind of thought it was more so a wash, and I really didn't have, like, a, a strong take on it, like, who would end up winning that trade, but it'll be interesting. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of how – I go, I, that's kind of my opinion on it. Yeah, I mean, availability is a big thing in the NBA and just in general in sports. But at the same time, I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie did tear his, uh, I believe, ACL and potentially MCL yeah. pretty recently. I mean, uh, last, I believe mm-hmm. it was last season, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So with that being said, it's it's a little bit questionable, especially because, you know, when I saw this trade at first, I was like, oh, they were just trying to get some salary cap 
relief. But then I thought about it and then I was like, why, why would they then take on the contract of Spencer Dinwiddie and uh, Davis Bertans? Because they, they're essentially taking on more salary than if they just kept Christoph Porzingis. I don't know, man. I, I think maybe this one was a little bit forced and uh, I mean, we'll see how this works out, but I just, I don't really understand the logic in that. Maybe they could have gone a better trade with younger pieces um, or I don't know. I mean, I get that they want to be competitive now. I do understand that because they're, they're fifth in the conference and the Western conference, which is a lot harder to win in than the East Eastern conference. So I see that they want to maximize the window of Lucas, Luka Doncic, but I just, I don't know if they could have gotten a better deal, but they probably should have uh, looked at different possibilities here. But Doncic is doing amazing things right now. I mean, he's been killing. He put up a 51-point game the other night, put up another 45-point game the night after. And it just it seems like this is just what we've grown accustomed to seeing from Luka Doncic. I mean, he's a he's a 28-9-9 player a year. Like, I mean, That's it's great, crazy. Man. He's so underlooked, I think, because of the market that he plays in. I mean, they have the Houston Rockets there who not playing that well right now. They have the um, who else is? Why am I blanking on this? Oh my god, the the Spurs, the Spurs are yeah. there too. I I don't know why this market just seems like they haven't been able to get any free agents. But again, I just I question why they would bring in all this cap, um, all this you know the cap they're gonna have to pay these players over. Yeah, the that's my year. thing too, man. Because uh, I mean you want to maximize Luka Doncic while he's still there and he's still happy to be there. Um, so you kind of put yourself in a situation where I believe both Spencer Dinwiddie and Davies Bertans are both on relatively hefty contracts. I don't know off the top of my head, the numbers, but I know you, you gave Christoph's Porzingis a big contract, but I think Spencer Dinwiddie and Davies Bertans are two guys that, you know, you're going to probably have to keep for a while. You really can't move off of them uh, due to the contract situations. But, yeah, I mean, this trade overall, I just kind of – I mean, I saw it. I was like, oh, Christoph Porzingis is going on the move again. But I don't know. I, I just kind of felt like that there wasn't, like, a clear winner with this trade, in my opinion. Yeah, man, that's really fair. But I do want to go to another trade here because this one really, really stood out to me. That's with the Indiana Pacers and the mm-hmm. Sacramento Kings. And uh, I'll just read out this trade real quick. The Indiana, Indiana Pacers received Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, and Tristan Thompson for Domantis Sabonis, Justin Holiday, Jeremy Lamb, a 2023rd second-round pick. So it was essentially um, Sabonis for Halliburton uh, when it really gets boiled down to. And, again, I, I think that – the thing with the, the, the Kings is just, I don't, I never understand like their strategy here. I never get what they're doing. It seems like every year at the traded line, they're always like at the bottom or they're always around like the 10, 11, 12 range. Um, and then they just, they're not really in contention. And then they just make like some handful of moves, which doesn't really benefit anybody. They don't really get any first rounders. Uh, and then they they kind of just stay plateaued around like the 12th spot in the in the West like forever. Like they, this is a franchise that has not made the playoffs in I believe 16 seasons now. If I'm not mistaken, it's been a long time. They have the I think the longest. It might be the longest drought, or it's it, the Timberwolves. It might be one of those two. Yeah, Timberwolves made it three years ago. I believe it came down to oh them, yeah, you're right. And that uh, I think it was the 82nd game of the season. That was a pretty crazy thing, but uh. 
Yeah, so with that being said, I mean, the Kings have sucked for a long time, just to throw it out there. So this trade, giving up a guy who has shown that he's capable of being a future star in the NBA and Tyrese Halliburton, mm-hmm. and then getting back DeMontis Sabonis, like you had a big man at one point that was very similar to him in DeMarcus Cousins in his prime. And it just never worked out because you never had the pieces around him. Now, I understand like Fox, you know, Darren Fox has been, he's been productive for them for the last few seasons, but the wins have just not been there. And I'm, I'm just like mind blown. Like, why would you give away like a 20 year old guy who has shown that he's potential to be a superstar. And then you're taking on a ton of cap room uh, or, or a ton of cap space where you're going to have to pay some bonus like $30 million per year for the next like three, four years. I, I don't understand what the thinking is here. I loved this move for the Pacers. I absolutely loved it. Um, I mean, the Pacers have come out and said it. They're they're rebuilding. What better way to kick off a rebuild where you have a guy in Tyrese Halliburton who I think, like you said, I like him too. He's I like him too, man. He's just, you know, he's a guy who is still under his rookie contract. I want to say uh, you can even look it up for me, but he's probably like in his early 20s you know, probably like 21, 22. And he's shown like he's he's an all-star caliber type of player. Are you going to say something? No, no. Yeah, but, you know, I just – I like this move, you know, for the Pacers, especially a team that's rebuilding. DeMontis Sabonis has kind of been thrown around trade rumors for a long time now. I don't know what the Kings are doing. Um, you know, in my opinion, I don't know if this is a hot take, I feel like they should have traded De'Aaron Fox instead. I just, I, I mean, I like, I, I mean, I like De'Aaron Fox, but he's having a down season this year. You know, I believe they gave him a contract extension. I don't think he's a player that, you know, you're necessarily going to win with there. And I understand you're trying to make him happy in a way and get a all-star former all-star player into Montes Sabonis. But when you have Tyrese Halliburton, like, this guy, he was the, the number 12 overall pick back in 2020. I mean, 14.3 points per game. He's 11th in the NBA with 7.4 assists. And he's tied for six with 1.7 steals per game. So, like, this guy, I think, can be a guy who develops more as a shooter and as a scorer. He's already a really good passer. And, I mean, he's, he's a good defender. Like, 1.7 steals per game is really good. It's sixth in the league. So this guy could end up being a um, a good all-around player and I think an all-star caliber player who's still growing. That's the perfect player to get in a rebuild. And I just was – I was blown away that the, the Kings were – that the Kings gave up Tyrese Halliburton. And that was a, a mind-boggling situation. I understand they're kind of like – you know, they have a lot of guards on that team because they drafted Davion Mitchell this year. Uh, they traded away Buddy Heald in that trade as well. And obviously you have De'Aaron Fox and Tyrese Halliburton. But this was a great trade, I think, by the Pacers. This one was this one was great. And I'm, I'm very happy that, you know, they were able to get Tyrese Halliburton. That was just a, an absolute steal, I think, in my opinion. Yeah, I like the one thing about the Kings that I do admire. I don't admire anything about this trade, just put it out there. But the, the one thing I do admire is that they've drafted fairly well over the last few years. I mean, drafting Halliburton, um, drafting Mitchell, those two players, I think would have been a, a tandem to, 
to come. I think they would have been really dominant for a long time, to be honest. And, and again, like you mentioned, um, De'Aaron Fox is under contract for a very long time, and he, he is valuable. Like, I'm not going to say he's not a valuable player. I mean, he averages 21 points, five assists a game, does it on fairly, fairly um, good shooting, although he's having yeah. kind of a downstretch from threes this year. But uh, again, like, why why wouldn't you trade him away? Maybe get like a few first round picks. I, I think there would be a team out there that would give up a, a first round pick potentially, um, you know, top four, top five protected this year. And then next year, a first rounder unprotected. I don't know. Maybe maybe there would have been a team like that because there's a lot of teams out there that are looking for good point guards. And I think if you put De'Aaron Fox on a contender, I mean, maybe the wins will be there, um, especially with the numbers he has right now. But again, it's just when you're a team that has, it seems like they've been rebuilding forever with the Kings or they, they make these stupid moves, man. Like, like the one thing I didn't understand was why did they give Harrison Barnes a contract extension like four, uh, three years ago, I think it was. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. From the Mavericks. I remember he was on like this terrible contract. It was like a, a four year, $88 million contract, something like that with the Mavs. And like he put up points. I mean, he averaged like maybe 16, 17 points a game. But he was one of those players where they put up points, but they don't play defense, they don't get rebounds, and they don't do, you know, they don't get any assists. They don't really contribute in any other way except maybe putting up, like, 13 shots a game and ending up with 17, 18 points. And, right. like, his uh, – I remember his his over-under was pretty bad, too. Like, overall, that that whole contract that for the Mavs was a, was a mess overall. And then, you know, I thought, oh, they're just getting an expiring contract. They'll let him walk in the offseason. Maybe they got, like, an asset with it or whatever. And then they they ended up signing him for, like, a four-year, $88 million contract again. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, you're, you guys are rebuilding. Why are you signing this guy? And this is just the type of behavior that I think we've come accustomed to seeing from the Kings. And, uh, again, th- this doesn't really make much sense to me. And, you know, I do hope Sabonis so has su- success there, but I just – I don't know, man. I don't see it happening. Like Jason, shout out Jason Pombo. Uh, again, he, he said that this is uh, DeMarcus Cousins 2.0. So doesn't make any sense to me whatsoever. Yeah, I don't know. The Kings, I mean, this is how bad organizations just continue to stay bad. Um, I mean, making a trade like that, giving up a guy who I just looked up, will be turning 22 this month, who is, you know, was the first round pick back in 2020, still under his rookie contract. You give you give you get with him up for a player in Sabonis who he's a good big man, but he's not like you know he's not. He, it just doesn't make sense for the timeline of the Kings right now, and I think they're just trying too hard to make a push in the play-in, and I just don't see that team really going that far. To be honest with you, they're just they're just a, a bad organization. Yeah, man. Uh, shout out the Kings for giving the Pistons their uh, second overall pick from a few years back. Yeah, Marvin Bagley. We, we got him for nothing. Like, I don't think Marvin Bagley is that great of a player, but he's definitely good, like good enough to, you know, put up maybe 15 points, like eight, nine rebounds a night. And I mean, every every team needs a guy like that. We literally gave up Josh Jackson, Trey Lyles, and like a second round pick from like 2025 or something like that. Like, I mean, again, it's just the, this is the way the Kings work. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Shout out for the Kings uh, for at least giving us a, a decent player for nothing. So I appreciate Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Uh, you want to talk about the CJ McCollum trade? Cause that one was a, another pretty big one. Yeah. We could talk about that one. I know that one was from last week, but might as well. Um, 
Yeah, so the Portland Trailblazers, man. Uh, I just I question. I mean, that's that's an organization that's also just going down in the wrong path. CJ McCollum, like, all right, they've been doing everything they can to help Damian Lillard out, right? Like, they, I mean, not really, but like they're they brought in the head coach and Chauncey Billups, who he wanted. They fired their general manager to hire a guy that Damian Lillard wanted. But now they're just, I mean, they're going backwards. Like, they made another trade, like, before this one where they got rid of Norman Powell and made a trade, I think, for the, with the Clippers, and they, like, basically, like, got fleeced by L.A. Um, and I think in this situation, I think it's kind of something similar. Like, C.J. McCollum, I understand his contract situation. He's getting overpaid, but – if you want to make Damian Lillard happy, don't you think you would keep the player that he's been with since 2013, probably his best friend on the team? Um, it just doesn't make any sense. And then, like, the players you get in return, like Josh Hart, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, Tomas Sanaransky, and then some guy named Didi Uzada. You know, you get a first-round pick in a couple of seconds. I just don't like it. And on top of that, you traded away Larry Nance Jr., who's actually, like, He's a good defensive player. He's a good role player for you. Um, I just I, – I completely just don't get it. And I think if you're, I'm Damian Willard, um, it has to come. You know, he he has to request a trade at this point. And I think that – to be honest with you, I think the Trailblazers screwed this entire thing up because you should have traded Damian Willard last year. But now you waited, you know, till this year where his value – I think it's going to be lower than what you could have gotten from last season because Damian Lord has been dealing with injuries. He's getting older and he's having a down season in terms of his statistics. So I just think the, the trailblazers screwed this up and they're just going to be an organization who are going to stay bad for a long time. I think because they're not a really enticing market. You're really not going to get, you know, a lot of guys that come over from, you know, in the free agent market who want to play for the Trailblazers, I think you're going to be kind of screwed in that department. And you're going to have to try taking the Milwaukee Bucks approach where you build your team through the draft and build your team after having, after having a good core with Giannis and making trades for someone like uh, Drew Holiday. You know, it's just, it's just what's going to end up happening for with the Trailblazers. And, I really think they messed it up by not getting rid of Damian Lillard last season. They really screwed that up. And now I don't know what they're going to get in return for him. It's probably not going to be something that, you know, most Trailblazers fans were anticipating for. I think they could have easily gotten three first round picks for him unprotected. Uh, if they did it last year. Now I think they would be lucky to get one unprotected and, and one protected. I mean, Look, Damian Lillard, his talent is undeniable, but the fact that he's starting to approach a, uh, you know, uh, an old age, like he, the guy's 31. I mean, next season, he's going to be 32. And you could have traded him away while he was uh, 29, 30, gotten a, a ton back from him and really restarted your rebuild in that form and then immediately traded, traded away, you know, his buddy McCollum and probably gotten a pretty good load for him too uh, instead of getting the – uh, I mean, they didn't really get anything for him. You know, they kind of got, I, I don't really want to insult any NBA players here, but they kind of got trash for him. I mean, I do like Josh, uh, Josh Hart. I think he's a solid player overall. He, he, the guy's got heart. But other than that, like 
they don't really have anything else in that trade. And, and I mean, they could have probably gone, you know, a little bit more for him if they traded him a few years ago too. It's just, the thing is, is I think a lot of teams in these small markets, they, they kind of get like content with having first round exits, second round exits. Cause they're like, Oh, you know, we have a small fan base. Like what, there's nobody that's going to sign with us. So we might as well just keep up the status quo. And I, I get that. But at the same time, it's like when you've seen for several years, that Damian Lillard and CJ McCollum together just they they just couldn't get past like teams like the Warriors or whatever the case may be you know I mean at that point it's like why continue just you know throwing the same product out there and hoping that you get a different result I mean according to Einstein that's the definition of insanity so <laughs> I just don't I just don't understand that yeah we're getting real uh real deep real philosophical oh, boy, yeah. today uh just wait till I start talking about Matthew Stafford but you know I <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of just what I got to say about the situation. I don't really understand. Again, a lot of these trades, I just feel like they were, they were forced, which, hey, I don't mind seeing as an NBA fan. I like seeing this as an NBA fan, seeing some different uh, different players in different markets playing for different teams in different situations. I think this is something every NBA fan wants instead of, you know, seeing maybe uh, a 12th 12 guy on the bench, you know, getting traded for, I don't know, like a second round pick or something like that. Like you want to see these big trades with these big names. So I think this was an exciting trade deadline overall, but it's just a lot of the the moves. I was just like, what's going on here, man. It's just, I don't know. Some of these are questionable. Right, man. Uh, yeah. For the trailblazers, I just, they really screwed this up. I think they, they really did. And they're just, I mean, once you trade Damian lowered away, I mean, good luck. The Indiana Pacers have done it correctly. Getting Tyrese Halliburton, that's called maximizing your opportunity to get a player that is going to be that forefront for your rebuilds. And Tyrese Halliburton, was that trade was fantastic by the Pacers. So there's some teams who rebuild the correct way, and I think there's teams who rebuild the wrong way. And I think the Trailblazers are rebuilding the wrong way right now. Yeah, definitely, man. It's a shame. But going back to... NFL, because there has been a lot going on there. Uh, yeah, we have a Super Bowl champion, Matthew Stafford, former Detroit Lion, Woo! former uh, yeah Lions goat. And uh, man, I'm happy for him. Uh, like I don't understand how any Lions fan can say that they're not happy for this guy. Like he gave 12 years of his life, 11 or 12, I can't remember right now off the top, but he gave so many years of his life to this organization. Stayed in Detroit, really made, created you know, a home for himself there and gave this team everything he had for several years. It's like, how can you not cheer for this guy once he won a Super Bowl? Like his, his wife really recently had like a brain tumor, uh, something yeah, really yeah. serious. And I mean, she, she beat it. She's fine now. She's in a lot better health. And he stuck with her through all of that, uh, especially facing a very tough situation in Detroit, which obviously is nothing compared to what he was facing in real life. I mean, uh, Matthew Stafford is a class act, never complained about the organization, even though he had every right to. He got traded into a, a good organization. Uh, the trade was a fair fair trade, um, in my perspective, at least. And I've said this once, I'll say it again. What was the alternative? He stays in Detroit for another season, um, plays his, uh, you know, age 33 season there, ends up going, I don't know, maybe – seven and seven and 10, eight and nine, they finished under 500. And then he gets traded for less value the year after there was no winning in Detroit for him. It wasn't going to happen this year. Let's be real. So as a Lions fan, I, I can't see anything besides just cheering for this guy. Um, I think it's a great story. 
and they definitely deserved it. And, and again, we talked about a few weeks ago, the fact that he is such a clutch quarterback and he's been so overlooked for so many years in that category. He has, I believe, the most comeback wins in the last five or six, seven seasons, something like that. If not, he's in the top three in that category for sure. He's had so many comeback wins, and this was another one. I mean, two minutes left in the Super Bowl. They had nothing going for them. The entire second half, they looked completely dry. And to be honest, I really thought the Bengals were going to hold them and win the Super Bowl. And, I mean, he just came out there, made it happen, and uh, got them a Super Bowl win just like that. So, hey, I'm so happy for this guy in this organization. Sean McVay finally got a championship that he very, very much deserved. So this was uh, like the Rams are built for Super Bowl contention to see um, OBJ get a Super Bowl and, you know, TRL after it, see Aaron Donald win a Super Bowl. Von Miller won another one. He had an impact on the game. Eric Weddle won a championship yeah, after man. being retired for two years. This is a great story, even though they were the top dog here and probably a lot of people want to see the Bengals win. I still think this was a great story for the Rams. Yeah, I mean, you know, to just start like – Think about how the Rams built their team. They took an unorthodox approach. They decided, screw first-round picks, screw draft picks. Let's use those picks and start making, like, big-time moves in the in the trade market. Like, trading away Jared Goff and two first-round picks for Matthew Stafford. They were like, all right, Jared Goff, you know, Sean McVay, giving him a lot of credit for even taking Jared Goff, Jared Goff and the Lions to a Super Bowl. Decided that he wasn't enough, made the move to get rid of Goff and, and two first-round picks to get Stafford, who they felt was an upgrade. Um, and even, like, before that, like, they were making, you know, these moves for guys like Jalen Ramsey. I think Jalen Ramsey, they gave up a first-round pick to get him. And, um, like, they had been making, you know, a multitude of different moves while giving up all these first-round picks and picks and just kind of going all in and not – you know, worrying about drafting someone in the first round. And it's paid off, obviously. Taking this approach that not not really anybody is doing right now, I respect it. And it paid off. They win the Super Bowl. They beat the Bengals. And I'm happy for a lot of people. Matthew Stafford, obviously, very happy for him. The Hall of Fame discussion, I think, is one that would be interesting. I'm still on the fence about him making it in the Hall of Fame at this point. I think he needs to do a little bit more, but I think, you know, you can't take anything away from him in this game and in, in the season. I mean, if you look at the playoffs, this guy came back down or he's led three game winning drives in the playoffs. He led the game winning drive against Tampa. He led the game winning drive against the 49ers and he led the game winning drive in the Super Bowl against the Bengals. And like, like we, like you said, Noah, like we've talked about it, this guy is a clutch quarterback. You can't take anything away from that. And he comes up in big moments, you know. I know, like, even if you look at that game-winning drive, you think about that pass he threw to Cooper Cup 22 yards away. He, like, that that play, like, not a lot of quarterbacks can make because if you don't know what I'm talking about, people listening, it's, I think, second and seven, and you have Matthew Stafford's dropping back, and his tight end, Bryce, I think his name is Bryson Hopkins or Bryce Hopkins, He's running like an option route and he's wide open and Von Bell, the Bengals safety, he sees that he's open and Matthew Stafford has his eyes locked onto Bryce Hopkins and Von Bell seeing that Matthew Stafford has his eyes locked onto him comes in, 
sees, okay, Matthew Stafford's going to throw that pass. But Matthew Stafford doesn't do that. He throws a no-look pass in the Super Bowl in that situation to Cooper Cup. And Cooper Cup was running like a deep in cut. And while still looking at Bryce Hopkins, he throws this pass, no-looks it, with great anticipation, knowing that Cooper Cup was going to get open on that play and completed it for a 22-yard gain on the game-winning drive in the Super Bowl. Like that, to me, you just don't see at all. Like not a lot of quarterbacks can make a play like that, um, especially not looking. I mean, that that takes a lot of lot of balls to do a play like that um, and to execute it the way they did. That was just a fantastic throw. Um, but, no, I'm just very happy for Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup, We'll talk about him, but I think he had the greatest receiver in season of all time. Uh, Aaron Donald, I mean, cemented his legacy, getting the Super Bowl reign. He's the greatest defensive player of our generation. Um, Odell, very happy for him, obviously. I know he tore his ACL at the end of this game, um, which, was, which was unfortunate, but him getting the Super Bowl reign and him overcoming those narratives that he was the problem in Cleveland. He never was the problem in Cleveland. Browns fans, he never was the problem. And as you saw, he made an impact. He caught the first touchdown of the game before he got injured. So, you know, I'm very happy for this Rams team. Sean McVay, I think, has solidified himself and cemented himself as a top three coach in the league. I think he's right in the mix with Bill Belichick and Andy Reid. I think it's him, Belichick and Reid, top three coaches in the league. And just a great story, like you said, Noah, about this Rams team. I mean, just to go back to what I was saying before, like, Building this team through trading draft picks is something that you don't see often. And they took a different approach and it paid off for them. So I'd be curious to see if more teams make those types of moves, but very, you know, very uh, um, happy for some of those guys on that team. And congratulations to the Rams for winning the Super Bowl. Now on the other side of things. So the Bengals, the, the loser here, Obviously, this does not tarnish the season at all. Nobody expected them to get here, uh, let alone to be two minutes away from winning a Super Bowl. Now, when you really think about it, the Bengals should not have even been in this game at all because, I mean, the ref just completely blew that that call coming out of the, the start of the third quarter. That was a terrible call. You can see it very clearly. Uh, it was T Higgins that caught that, right? He, he was grabbing on the face yeah, mask. Yeah, T Higgins, yeah. Yeah, he was grabbing on the face mask of um, Ramsey and also threw him to the ground to catch the ball. I mean, yeah. it was a very clear offensive pass interference or face mask, whatever you want to call there. And they that should not have even been a thing. But um, thankfully, the winner was the, the right side here because the Bengals should not have even had the lead. But again, they had the lead for a pretty big portion of the second half. And I'm telling you right now, the reason they lost was because they played scared. They played scared and they played, they played like a team that was down by, by 14, 21, 36 points, right? From what I saw, they were throwing it on first down. When Joel Mixon was rushing, he was rushing effectively. They did not give him the ball. The second that he maybe had a one-yard gain or he had no gain, they immediately threw it on the next down every single time. And overall, he did play pretty well. He was probably the most effective player uh, in the game for the Bengals all night, other than T Higgins uh, due to his, uh, you know, his, his little uh, catch there that probably shouldn't have been a catch, but um, Joe Mixon had 15 rushes for 72 yards. He played pretty well throughout the night. I mean, yeah, he had man. a lot of explosive runs. It was just the, as you said, prior to the game, the offensive line could not hold up for nothing. 
And the problem is that they did, instead of just saying, you know something, our offensive line isn't playing that well. We are up right now. Why don't we try to at least milk the clock a little bit, try to get something going with Joe Mixon. And then if, uh, you know, if he gets like a 10 yard rush, another five yard rush, and then we were a little bit short on third down, maybe we throw it there. It's like, why, why were you throwing it with, with Joe Burrow risking a potential serious injury when you had the lead and you had a rusher who was effectively rushing the ball? I mean, that's the part I don't get. And then uh, especially when they were at fourth and one, they, I mean, maybe Joe Mixon wouldn't have got it and maybe it would have been short, but I don't understand why they didn't rush the ball when it was fourth and one and the game was on the line and you had an effective rusher who can easily get one yard. It's like the game was on the line there, man. It's, it's not like, you know, the, it was a, a third and a third and three or something like that. It's like you have one yard and then you would still have 50 seconds to get a touchdown or a field goal to tie the game, which is doable for Joe Burrow. But I don't know, man. I just think overall, Zach Taylor is highly overrated and he got completely outcoached by Sean McVay here. Completely agree with you. Um, hey, the Bengals today gave Zach Taylor a, a contract extension through 2026. I think that was a mistake. Um, I've never been as – I just haven't been a Zach Taylor guy this whole time. And I think he really – I think he really showed himself this game. I mean, you think about the two fourth and one calls. They ran – the first one, I think Joe Burrow missed. It might have been Joe Mixon or Samanji Pirine. They were wide open in the flat, and he decided to go to Jamar Chase instead. Um, but this last one, especially on the game-winning drive, why isn't Joe Mixon on the field? Like, it just doesn't make any sense. Like you said, he's been running the football super effectively. He was averaging 4.8 yards per carry, 15 carries, and I think 72 yards. Why isn't that guy getting the ball in that situation? Why are they passing it in that situation? It's just, it doesn't make any sense. I really do think that the, the Bengals definitely screwed things up there. Um, but I think overall, the referees were also not great in this game. I mean, you mentioned it with that, that T Higgins non-face mask call. You didn't, you forgot to mention too, how about the game winning drive for the Rams and that hold that non-holding call that they called on Logan Wilson? That was not holding. Um, there was nothing illegal about what he did to Cooper Cup. Still called it. Um, so it just, I think it just kind of showed that the officiating did was really bad in this game uh, overall. But the Bengals need to protect Joe Burrow, man. They listen. They won that game against the Titans while Joe Burrow was being sacked nine times, right? The Titans offense really didn't, you know, didn't really do too much. But I think I might have said that I think that it's going to finally catch up to them. And it caught up to them in this game, especially when you're going up against Aaron Donald with two sacks, had the game win in play where he got pressure and made Joe Burrow have to throw that pass. Um, Vaughn Miller had a couple of sacks that game. And I think they sacked Joe Burrow seven times total. Like, you can't always win a game like that. Like, that's not going to happen every single time. And I, you, Joe Burrow got injured in the game. He had a sprained MCL. You can't let him turn into the next Andrew Luck. Like, you have to invest in your offensive line. I know the Bengals have some pretty key free agents. I think Jesse Bates is amongst the top of the priority list for them who they have to re-sign. 
but they need to invest in the offensive line, whether it's through free agency, whether it's through the draft. You have to protect Joe Burrow. You cannot let him get hit like he did. I mean, this guy before this season before this season had a torn ACL and torn NCL. Like that happened. And then you think about the Super Bowl, him spraining in his MCL. You have to get him an offensive line, protect this guy, because there's not a lot of franchise quarterbacks who come into the NFL. I think Joe Burrow is a franchise quarterback at this point. Um, you just can't let that guy get keep getting injured and you're not protecting him. And it just finally caught up to them. It caught up to them. This Rams defense was amazing in the second half of this game. You know, if you take away that T. Higgins touchdown, I mean, the Bengals would have really not done anything offensively. So you just – you kind of messed up there. Um, you know, I think the Bengals for an office messed up there, just not getting an offensive line. But I hope now they realize that they have to. You have to protect your quarterback. Offensive line is important. You need a good offensive line. The Rams had a good, had a good offensive line. I know in this game they weren't really that great, but they had a good offensive line pretty much throughout the regular season. You just, and for the Bengals, you just you can't let Joe Burrow be sacked this many times. I mean, seven times in this game, that nine times in that Tennessee game. You're not putting your quarterback in a good situation for him to be healthy and stay upright, and they really need to address that in the offseason. Dude, when I saw Joe Burrow go down, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, that one that one time right before the commercial yeah. break, he went down – and, you know, right before the commercial break, they, they re-showed that play and they showed his face. And you could just see like the anguish on his face when he went down that one time. And I was like, oh, my God, he tore his ACL again. That was my first thought. I was like, oh, my God, no. Because like I, I would just hate to see a quarterback this young and this talented go down with an injury like that back to back years. That would be absolutely tragic for the NFL. So in this offseason, they like you said, 100 percent have to address the offensive line. That should be priority number one. But I, I, I mean, as a fan, I'm so grateful that he did not get injured that bad. Um, but they, they need to do something about this. And, you know, it, it's, it just really came down to the Rams having a great defense and the Rams uh, just executing what their game plan was better and adapting to, to the game better than the Bengals. Bengals didn't adapt when they were up. They, they played scared. They just kept having Joe Burrow trying to throw the ball and, when, when he was getting sacked seven times against this Rams team, like, and you have Matthew Stafford just waiting for his opportunity to come down the field, like, they were not going to win this game. And it was, uh, I, I would say overall, the Super Bowl, though, just, uh, you know, as a fan, giving it a grade, I'd say it's like a solid uh, C plus, to be honest. Like, the first two quarters and also the start of the, se the second half, I was very entertained by. And then it kind of like lagged for a little bit. It felt like it wasn't really much going on for maybe a solid uh, quarter. And the majority of the next two quarters, there was nothing going on for. But the last two minutes, really exciting. And again, seeing Matthew Stafford win is incredible. As a Lions fan, gives me a great sense of joy. And to also see Joe, Joe Burrow survive this game and to be able to play healthy next season is also a great joy to me. But I would say the Super Bowl was a little bit of a letdown, if I'm honest, despite the close score. I give it like a – I'm going to say like a C, C minus, man. Like it just wasn't – it wasn't anything great. Um, especially, like I said earlier, the referees getting, you know, blowing that call. 
and then blowing another call late in that game. Come on, man. Like, it's just the referees, I think, had a couple of hiccups in this game that kind of took away from it. You know, it was just there was some sloppy football, I think, from both sides of it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the result. I'm happy for Matthew Stafford and these guys. But, yeah, I think the game itself could have been a lot better. That's kind of how I feel about it. Not really too excited about it, especially with, like, some of the games we've had in the postseason. Like, the Chiefs and Bills game was the best game of the year. And, you know, you think about that whole entire divisional round weekend. Like, we didn't get any of that in this game. So, it wasn't really a, a great Super Bowl game-wise. I mean, I thought the halftime show was great. I don't know if you have an opinion on that. That was great. But game itself, I just thought kind of lacked overall. You know, I, real quick, I actually want to ask you this before we jet off here. So as a fan, obviously, I hate seeing the delays in, in the game when, you know, refs are trying to conspire exactly what's going on or they're trying to figure out if there's a missed call or uh, they're, they're talking for like three minutes about why there was like three flags on the on the ground or when they're looking at a replay for like 15 minutes like those kind of things do aggravate me as a fan however I would argue that there is less frustration in waiting five minutes to figure out the right call than to to be on the losing side of a bet for like a hundred dollars because a ref didn't make the right call or just seeing your your favorite team lose because a ref didn't make the right call and it was a very blatant call I would argue now this might be a little bit controversial, but that the NFL should have like a second, like a, um, I don't know, like an overview ref, like a, a guy just watching from, from uh, different angles, seeing all the different angles, which I believe they already have. But what they should do is that there is a clear, blatant call, an extremely clear call. I'm not talking like, you know, the two guys, maybe a wide receiver and a cornerback were kind of tussled up and maybe there was a, uh, a debatable call where there could have been a pass interference. Yeah. There could have been a pass interference or there could have been a hold or something like that. Not anything like that. Just if there's blatant, like somebody was grabbing on a face mask and that interfered in like a 75 yard catch or something like that. Um, like there needs to be something done about this. Cause I've seen this as a fan too many times and it has interfered in the final scores of games. And I think it should just be really quick, like a minute, where the, the guy's like, okay, I see this, this angle, uh, you guys made a wrong call, fix this real quick. And then they just say, yeah, this got fixed. Because I'm not talking, again, I want to clarify, if there is something that is debatable, this should not be done. There should be nothing done about the call if it's debatable. But if, if it is very, very clear and blatant, there should be a, a ref watching all of this that gives them a, a live feed and just says like, hey, yeah, you guys made a mistake, fix this. Or you can like challenge. I mean, I mean, I know the NFL had like that defensive pass interference, like challenge call. Like you can challenge the call. Um, maybe they should consider bringing that back. I don't know if they would. I don't know if fans loves that. But yeah, especially when you miss a call like that, that was just a bad, an awful miss, man. Like that T. Higgins touchdown was just. I don't know how you missed that. Like it was so blatantly obvious that he grabs the. Jalen Ramsey's face mask and that's why he fell to the ground and and one more and another thing too real quick like people were like ragging on Jalen Ramsey this game but I don't even think he played like an awful game like if you wipe away that play I think the Jamar Chase catch that he had that he gave up was kind of like a immaculate reception in a way like I think Joe Burrow obviously put the ball in a great spot I mean Jamar Chase had to make a crazy catch to even get that so I thought Jalen Ramsey kind of got um got kind of got some unfair criticism in this game but yeah I think you know the NFL 
especially this game, this was a bad game, I think, for officiating overall. You know, that play and then the hold, the non shouldn't shouldn't have been a holding call on Logan Wilson. I think even like there was on like an offsides call they just didn't call on that same game winning drive. Um, it was just, it was just bad. Um, clearly not a great uh, officiated game by the referees. So we'll see if the NFL, you know, does something about that. But luckily, I don't even, I don't even know if you can say luckily it didn't change the outcome of the game, but it's, it certainly, you know, wasn't a great day for officiating in this game. And I, that's why I put it as a CC minus just because I think that was a big driving factor for me was the poor officiating screwed things up. Yeah, definitely, man. And, and you know something? Now we got a beautiful, uh, a little bit painful offseason just because there's no football and uh, it kind of hurts my heart a little bit. But, you know, other than that, I think it's going to be an entertaining offseason. I think there's going to be a lot of quarterbacks that should swing, uh, switch homes and uh, potentially change where they're at. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of big trades, a, a lot of big things happening this offseason, that good draft up ahead of us, a lot of defense and uh, offensive linemen that are coming through this draft. Yep. So, uh, and, and then the quarterbacks in this draft, it's, uh, you know, God, oh, God only knows what's going to happen because it's, it's all over the place. And nobody really knows who the top quarterback is. So it's going to be interesting. And we are here at Rough in the Basket to talk about this. And uh, yeah, I mean, next week, maybe we'll give some of our thoughts about the offseason, some predictions, what we think is going to happen. And I'm looking forward to this, even though there is about, uh, what is it, like six, seven months till football comes back? Oh, good Lord, man. We're talking like September. Or if you want to come to preseason, like August, late August, mid-August. So I like the NFL offseason, though. I'm going to miss watching football, but like I like free agency. I think the NFL draft is like my favorite time of the year. So very exciting. We're going to have a lot of that type of content for you guys. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And obviously with NBA going on, you know, we're going to dive pretty heavy into what's going on in the basketball world as well. But thank you guys for listening to rough in the basket this week. Make sure you guys follow us on Twitter at rough the basket. You can follow us on Instagram at rough in the basket Follow me on Twitter at bcar underscore 13. And you can follow Noah on Instagram at burnt 37 Noah, what do you have to weave the people off with? So, you know, there is a football league coming back in. Uh, oh, my in God. It's, it's uh, the, what is it? The United Football League? Is that the it? USFL, bro. USFL? I don't know what that is, man. You know something, though? I'm going to give it a chance because I'm going to miss football a lot, man. That's like football is part of my life you know i think a lot of americans a lot of people in the world can say that nfl is growing internationally the sport of american football is growing internationally so i want to give this league a chance i don't think it will last more than a year but uh let's let's bring back the xfl man when's that coming back i know i think the xfl is coming back soon i know the rock owns that league now but if you guys are going to plan on betting on the usfl make sure you guys bet the under as Jason Pombo would say. But thank you guys so much for listening to Rough in the Basket this week. And we will see you guys next week. Later.